0: Let's revisit a little bit um, from last Sunday's sermon as a lead-in to today. We are, of course, getting very close to the end of 1 Timothy. I think after today there's one more, I do believe, number 17. But today is number 16. Last Sunday's text was this. Now there is great gain in godliness. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, With these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So, as we saw last week, there's a very strong warning here about the love of money. The love of money leads to many temptations to traps, it says, to foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction, causes some to even wander from the faith and causes us, them, to suffer all kinds of needless grief. On the other hand, there is great gain in learning how to be content with godliness, learning how to focus on being godly, on living out your life with Jesus, growing in the character of Christ, and not being endlessly covetous or upset about what you don't have. <clears throat> to be able to honestly say, I need nothing more than Jesus. That is a, it's not just a great place to be, it really is where the Lord wants us to live our lives. Where we can really say that I don't need anything else except Him. That my life today with him is sufficient. It's more than enough. And as long as I have him, I have enough. doesn't matter what happens, what's taken from me, what I face, how long or short the time is I have left on earth, whether I end up being persecuted for my faith, whether I end up being unjustly accused and have everything taken from me. As long as I have Jesus Christ, I have enough. And I can say to you today, that's, that's where God wants each of us to walk. That's not pie in the sky. That's not some unattainable goal. That is where the Lord wants us, each of us, to walk. God wants us at such a place that if we have a huge amount, we're not engrossed in it. And if we have a small amount, we're happy with that. He wants us to, He wants to teach us to be content with basic necessities. And He wants to teach us to trust Him each new day. And we saw that in the story of the Israelites, how God provided manna for them, told them that um, only take enough for today. And if you try to take too much and save it for tomorrow, it's going to turn rancid and all that moldy and full of worms and all. And that was to teach Israelites to trust God each new day for what they needed for that day. And that's part of that life of contentment with godliness. Now let's read today's text. It's the same chapter, verses 17 through 19. And this is like a continuation, though there's those verses stuck in the middle that we're skipping over that next week is all about. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Wealth is uncertain. It used to be that if you worked for a large corporation in the United States, you were set. You'd be part of a union making a good... You're you're shaking your head, yeah? Making a big paycheck... Um, regular raises, you had a union on your side, um, you had a big pension plan, health insurance, and, and after your 25, 30 years you retired and you were set. That's how it used to be in America. But all that has changed. And Lots of companies have renegotiated contracts. Perhaps they still fulfill the contract with older employees, but they're hiring new employees, younger employees, and starting them at much lower pay scales, and they will never reach the higher rates that were once paid. And some companies, of course, have have balled out senior employees just to get rid of them so they can hire people that are not ever going to make as much. And so they get, get rid of that drag on their bottom line. I grew up in a city that was known for its shipyards. I don't know how many of you know that Baltimore was known for its shipyard. Anybody know the, the major employer in Baltimore 50 years ago in the shipyards? Anybody know the name? Hmm? Bethlehem Steel. Anybody heard of Bethlehem Steel? That was the employer in the, in, down by the harbor in Baltimore City. And growing up, going to school, if you asked the kid in the school what's your father do, you had a really good chance, they'd say, He works for Bethlehem Steel. It was good pay, good pension, but guess what? Bethlehem Steel went out of business, probably because of cheaper steel coming from foreign countries, but they are no more. If we learn anything, and if you're old enough, I hope you did learn something from the recession of 2008. I hope it taught you that a stock market recession can wipe out 30% of your money just like that. It can happen. You can wipe out 50% of 70%. It can happen. And I hope we learn that. I hope we know that so that we don't get too caught up in recent years with you know, 30 50% increases. And we look at our IRAs like, wow, it's doing great. Don't forget. It can be gone tomorrow. I always tell Beth, don't, don't get too excited. It's all paper. Until it's in your hands, it's all paper. It's all paper. That's all it is. It's numbers on a, on a sheet. That's all it is. That's how uncertain wealth is. Some of our parents and grandparents learned an even harder lesson in 1929. 2008 was nothing compared to 1929 when people were jumping out of windows and killing themselves right and left. And all. I mean, 2008 was just a, just a blip on the radar screen compared to the Great Depression of 1929. A major sickness can wipe us out overnight. An unjustified lawsuit can wipe out an innocent person. Your lifestyle can change overnight. An accident, a horrible car accident today, can totally transform what you're used to in your life, if if it is a comfortable life. One of our former members here at Family Life Church lost their own HVAC business a number of years ago. Because they had an employee working for him who was embezzling money. And the company folded. And so he kind of struggled the rest of his years until he finally retired. He's now with the Lord. But it all went back to an embezzlement that wiped out his nice, thriving HVAC business. If you have a small business you operate, and maybe you're making a lot of dollars, you don't know if you're going to have that business next week. You don't know what might happen or who might be stealing from you. So wealth is uncertain. I hope you know that. Maybe so you saw. I'm sure a lot of us saw that that Christmas ad for Peloton. Yeah. yeah, I knew Andy would know about it. Yeah, I won't go into what the ad was about. But did you know that people were so offended over one 60 second ad for Peloton? that Peloton lost $1 billion of value in one day as their stock dropped 10% because of one commercial that some people thought was offensive. So like the scripture says, wealth is uncertain. It can sprout wings and fly away. It can evaporate overnight. And for this reason, our text, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, do not put your hope in it. Do not feel smug and secure just because you have something in the bank, because it is uncertain. Instead, put our hope in God. God is not going anywhere. (laughs) He's not going anywhere. He's not going to disappear. He's not going to grow old and die. He's not going to be replaced. There's not going to be a coup to overthrow Him. He's not going to go bankrupt He's not going to run into hard times. God is not subject to fluctuations in the stock market. And he doesn't worry about China trade wars. (laughs) God is God. And I've said countless times, there's no panic in heaven. We get all panicky and upset and worked up. There's no panic in heaven. If you could step inside heaven this afternoon and, and just be an observer, you'd see there's peace in heaven. All is well in God's kingdom. Can I hear an amen to that? So the Lord, the Lord does not want us to worry about our day-to-day needs. Jesus certainly reiterated that when he said, "Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? By the way, you know, we talked yesterday in the men's group about from Deuteronomy six about teaching your children along the way and, and teaching the ways of the Lord and um, a few weeks ago. Um, thinking about this scripture here, and sitting in our house one day, and Joshua, three years old, was there, there was a bird outside. And I took, took advantage of that moment. I said, Joshua, you see that bird? Yeah, I see that bird. about. I said, does he look like he's worried about what he's going to eat today? <laughs> no. I said, why is that? Because he looks blank at me. I said, it's because he knows God's going to feed him. He's not concerned about where he's going to find the next seed, where he's going to find the next worm. He's just having fun, flitting around, flying around. And so you can take advantage of little, little teachable moments like that with the people in your life. Even your wife doesn't have to be a child to say, Beth, do you see that bird outside? Does it look worried? No, of course not, because it knows that God's going to provide its next meal. And that's what Jesus says. Uh, By the way, encourage one another in your homes. Take advantage of the little things around us. and They're not so little. They're miracles. Every place you look, starting with your body, is so miraculous. It speaks of the glory of God. I'm not, I never took any biology, by the way, in my life. I missed that day in school. It was a snow day. Never had any. It really irritates Beth, and I never, never had any biology. Um, but something came up. It was related to your, um, that medical problem that you mentioned, Alma. And we were talking about it one day. And Beth starts waxing eloquent about endocrinologists and what they do in that part of the body. I said, you know, I had no clue about any of this you were telling me. No clue. So, you know, every time I learned something new about the body, I found there's another whole system that's all working really well and seamlessly and perfectly balanced and so complex that God has put together. And it just causes me to just marvel, not just at the wonderfulness of God, but also how can anybody believe in evolution? How can anybody? If you have two brain cells and you just look a little bit at the human body and how it functions, how could you ever say, well, I think it just happened, time and chance? It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Anything that you leave to time and chance will degenerate. It'll become more chaotic. If you ignore your car and park it in the garage today, 80 years from now, somebody will do a barn find. It'll be covered with dust. The tires will be flat. It won't start. Because things don't get better and better with time and chance. They get worse and worse. And so everything about our bodies, all creations, speaks of the wonderfulness of God and causes us to worship. That's not part of the message. Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet you know, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Think about that. You know, The finest man-made clothing is nothing compared to a flower that God has fashioned. But if God so clothes the grass of the field... Which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first, it goes back to what Bill was talking about this morning, about loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And can I add, there'll be enough other people worrying about tomorrow. You don't have to. Not hard to find somebody that's worrying about tomorrow. Don't be one of them. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I know that's true. Just before Jesus said that, he said this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 17 of our text says that God will richly provide us with everything for our enjoyment. Let that sink in for a moment. He doesn't withhold anything that we need. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be able to eat at steak restaurants that you're always going to be able to vacation in the finest resorts, or you'll always be able to um, have the the, um, Elon Musk, Tesla, fanciest Tesla model, self-driving car. But it means that you will always have everything that you need in the moment. That you will never be able to honestly say, at this point, God has let me down. At this point, there's something that I need for life and godliness that I don't have. God's held back on me. There's a, a person that calls me frequently. They just kind of call on the phone to, to talk. And, and sometimes they, they kind of are in a complaining, whining kind of mode of what God isn't doing for them and hasn't given them. And I always remind this person, I said, the Bible says God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. He has not withheld from you. You have all that you need because that's the truth of the Scripture. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. I get a picture in my mind as I speak this morning of of my father when he was dying. I got there a few hours too late, so he was already dead when I saw this, this image. But in his last... Last days have been so rough, so difficult, so so horrible in so many ways. And you could say, Well, look at that. Was God there for him? Where was that scripture when your dad needed it? Well, it was probably on that yellow piece of paper that he wrote me a week before he died. When he said, I'll see you again. <laughs> Along with all who have loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Did my dad have all he needed? When he was going through that last week, I'd say absolutely. He was the wealthiest man on earth then. Because he knew the Savior. He knew where he was about to go. And he knew that he was going to see some people he had seen, hadn't seen for a long time that also had the same faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't lacking. You and I lack nothing when we have the Savior in our life, when we know our sins are forgiven. We lack nothing. So much wealthier than the people that have it all. And they don't know that their sins are forgiven. And they think they're going to stand before God someday and make a case for themselves. A case that will fail every time. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. Some Christians are clearly blessed materially. We all know that. Some have a gift, and it is a gift, that they just can make money. You know people like that and people like that. It's a gift. Whatever they put their hand to business-wise succeeds financially. Whenever I meet someone like that, I know that's a gift. Because it's like they can't do wrong. Everything they touch, it's like like a Midas kind of gift. And I realized it's a gift that God has given them in order that they might benefit the kingdom of God. It's a gift for that, that, that pur- purpose. Doesn't mean that they're um, <clears throat> necessarily smarter than anybody else, doesn't mean that they necessarily work harder than anybody else, but they have a unique gift that they just do exceedingly well when it comes to the area of money. And why would God give a person such a gift? What do these verses say? They are to do good, verse 18, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. If God has blessed you materially, if he blesses you in the future in some big material way, if he gives you a windfall, something unexpected, or maybe an inheritance or something, it's for the purpose that you can bless others. It's not so you can finally live on easy street. It's from a point of view of stewardship. He puts something in your hands so that you then can use it to share with those in need. You can bless others. You can be generous. That's the purpose of, those, of, the, of what he puts in our, our hands. Uh, that's why last week I asked you, I said, you know, one way you can tell where your heart's at with money is by asking yourself the question, or if you hear the question, what would you do if you got a million dollars today? And based on your first answer in your head, let you know where your heart's at. If your first answer is about you, my friend, your heart's not right. I can tell you that. If your first answer is, I think God would want me to do this in special ways. And I'd have to give some special thought to that. Um, I've thought about this a lot, by the way. I thought, you know, suppose I suddenly had, say, Bill Gates money some huge amount of money, what would I do with it? How would I handle it? Now, my first thought is always, it's about God's kingdom. I, mean, I know that. That's the starting point. It's not about, ah, oh, now I can live you know, in wealth. But then, I, you know what i do? I've really thought about this. Not because I'm there, believe me. I thought, I'd have to get some people around me that could help me to figure out how to manage that kind of wealth. Because I don't have experience with that. So if, if I had $50 million today, I really would not know the smart thing to do with that to benefit God's kingdom. I wouldn't. And it's not just start writing checks to this ministry. No, you'd want to have a plan. You'd want to think about it. you want to pray about it. you want to get some help. Because money isn't always the answer to everything, right? Yeah. So it doesn't always, isn't always the blessing when you give somebody a big chunk of money. So I'm thinking, Lord, I would need your mind if that ever happened. I don't know why I'm saying that today, but maybe somebody here will come into a big windfall. You know, you're going to be in a situation and you need a little bit of forethought in how you will handle that if that blessing is in your lap. Okay, now I'm losing my my place. Sometimes people that are blessed financially, and they come into money, and they just have one of these gifts where everything they do turns into money, sometimes they are arrogant and they think well I'm just smart you know <laughs> I'm just good at what I do I'm just and they take credit and that's just pride but did you know you know this because you've heard me say it scripture says that even the the ability to make money is a gift from god so if you're one of those people that you do really well and you make a lot of money where you work and it just comes and you get the bonuses and all that Don't pat yourself on the back because the Bible says even the ability to work is a gift from God. Don't look down on others, don't be critical, don't be judgmental, don't be unwilling to help and share. It's a huge blessing when you meet somebody who is blessed materially and they understand riches. When you meet somebody like that, It's very special. Um, One of the people that Beth and I have known, they're now deceased, but it was somebody I I knew in Lake Forest years ago. And they had a lot of money, but you would never know it. And when they walked around Lake Forest, they wore um, old clothes with holes and everything else. And they, they looked like somebody the police ought to stop and say, you know, get out of town, you don't belong here. But they weren't about flaunting what they had. They bought like the cheapest cars imaginable. I remember at one point they bought a little Toyota, a little red Toyota that didn't have carpet, it didn't have air conditioning, it didn't have a radio in it. They just weren't about flaunting their money at all. But they were very generous. And I always thought they understood. Well, now they were not believers, but they knew that it wasn't about themselves. They knew that what they had was for the purpose of benefiting others. It's really a blessing when you meet people that understand why they have wealth, why they have money, and they know it all belongs to God. They're willing to to share. Um, There's always a special humility and love in those kinds of people. And they always tend to be very discreet in their giving. They don't advertise it. They don't tell people what they're doing. It just happens behind the scenes. And that's typical of the kind of person that I'm describing. And I think that God is very happy with those kinds of people because He has a hard time. Now, God can do all things. But I'm about to say, God has a hard time finding people He can trust with resources. He has to look long and hard to find somebody that He can really entrust with material wealth who will use it for all the right purposes and all the right ways, instead of just using it for the common purposes that we're all so familiar with. As a believer, when someone blesses us in a big way, what is our response? You don't have to answer out loud, but when you find yourself in a situation where there's a need and someone meets that need, what is your response? It's always... Thanks to God, isn't it? Isn't it thanks to God? And so God ends up being praised because of someone's generosity to us. And that's why it's so wonderful when we share, because it causes God to be praised. And when we don't share and we're tight-fisted, then someone doesn't receive and they don't turn and say, Lord, I can't believe what you did. Thank you for meeting that need. And so we're actually robbing God of the praise that he's due. You know that Beth and I have had so many people over the years bless us in incredible ways. You don't know the details, of course, but there's been so many times when the Lord has done that. And to this day, when I think about it, it's like, Lord, thank you for that person. This morning during my prayer time at home, I was staring at a picture on our wall that we have in our living room. Thinking about the fact that years ago, there was a couple that took me, before I was married, into their home before I got married. I lived with them. They, they, I think I, I paid like the phone bill and the electric bill. They didn't take anything else from me. They fed me. They took me out to the restaurants. And when I, when I got ready to leave and get married... I wanted to do something for this couple, you know, some way of saying thank you. And I didn't know what to get them. I mean, what do you, you know, it's so hard to know what to get people. But one day, this lady, her name is Shirley. You might know who I'm talking about. Um, She has said she's going to come visit us this spring now that her husband died a few months ago. I hope that happens. You might get to meet her. But when Shirley, um, she came in one day, and she just was talking. She said, you know, I was just at the shoe store in Montgomery Village. It's a place in Santa Rosa. And she said, they had all these paintings for sale on the walls of the shoe store. You know, you've seen that at restaurants, you see a price tag. She said, there was one painting I really liked. I said, what was it? And she described it to me. And so, you know, without saying anything, you know what I did. I went and I bought the painting and I gave it to her and her husband as a gift. And that painting is still hanging in their their living room over the piano. And Shirley told me a few years ago, she said, George, she said, I want you to know there's a note on the back of it that when we are gone, my son is supposed to ship that to you. And so this morning when I was um, looking at this picture on our wall, I was thinking about the fact that one of these days that picture is going to be gone and I'm going to have this picture that I bought for Shirley that many years ago. But where am I going with this? Where am going with it is every time I think about Shirley and Matt, I think of their generosity to me, the way they blessed me, and I give thanks to God. And so it wasn't like a one-time, well, thanks, Matt and Shirley. It's like, my heart, this many years later, I'm still so amazed. And there's a lot of people in our lives that have done things for us, and it's still causes me to say, Lord, you know, I know the situation I was in at that point, and you took care of us. And I'm still just effusive with praise to God. That's what happens When you're generous, when I'm generous, it causes people, without even knowing it most of the time, somebody, maybe years later, still saying, Lord, thank you for what you did to that person. And God is glorified. That's the purpose that God gives to us materially. It's that we might bless and be a blessing. When we are generous and willing to share, verse 19, we lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that we can take hold of the life that is really life. Catch that. So we can take hold of the life that's really life. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and Steel. Years ago, I decided, some of you know this too, I decided to buy some stock. We had this little bit of, of money, I think it was $10,000, and I said, you know, I think, Beth, we ought to buy a stock. And what stock did we buy? But Krispy Kreme stock. Because that was the time when people were lining up in Chicago. And I heard this on the radio, that people were lining for a block just to wait for the donuts. I think, that's the, that's the place. So I put my $10,000 in the Krispy Kreme stock. And in no time at all, I lost 82% of that. 82%. I learned a hard lesson. I don't buy individual stocks. I'll buy mutual funds. I won't buy individual stocks, because I am not very good at picking them. If you want a stock tip, don't ask me, OK? Unless you want to lose 82%. Um, going back to what the Scripture says, wealth is so uncertain. It can sprout wings and, and fly away. But when we invest in God's kingdom, you know, whether it's through a ministry or a church, or we feel the Lord has put on our heart to give someone something, to help them out, they have a need, we are laying up an investment in heaven that is not going to sprout wings it's not going to disappear. It'll be there for eternity. And when God says that's what's going to happen, it's not like you know, one of these shyster pyramid companies that say, oh, invest with us, and you're going to make 50% every year, and you find it's all a pyramid scheme, huh? a Ponzi scheme. No. When God says you'll lay up treasures in heaven, he means you will lay up treasures in heaven. Treasures for all of eternity. You will reap the benefits of that. And of course, we're not just talking about money here either. When you're generous with your time, time that you could use for yourself to look out for number one, but you share your time with someone else. When you have a talent, something you can use that just make more money for yourself, you say, I'm gonna use part of this talent to to serve God, to help him in his kingdom, then you are laying up treasures in heaven. That will be there for eternity. Now, I would never, and I mean never, tell somebody to do the right thing just so you can have greater riches in heaven. That is selfishness, that's self centeredness. If that's the motivation, well, I'll do this because I don't have eternal treasures. That's why Jesus went to the cross to deliver us from that kind of thinking about me, me first. But the fact remains when we do the right thing out of a right heart, we are laying up treasures in heaven. Amen. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And when we're generous and we're willing to share in all those ways, you know, our time, our money, our treasure, then we are laying up treasures in heaven. <clears throat> when we're generous and willing to share, we are taking hold, this scripture says, We take hold of the life that is really life. Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We all get so deceived and so distracted as though life consists in what we have and what makes us happy. In our hearts, we know that's not true, but we still get on that treadmill as though what's going to really make me happy is more stuff. But the life that's really life does not consist of any of that. And I don't know why we we spend so much time going after it as though it does instead of sticking with the simple truth that the life that is really life does not consist in buying more things, having more things, having a bigger nest egg, being able to brag about, about something else that we just bought or did. There are stern words in the scripture in the letter to the Laodicean church. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot, cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you: buy from me gold for fire for the fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may not may so that you may see. The scripture is telling us that we get so blinded, we get so confused, so mixed up, and and we think we are so rich when we're living the life of a pauper when if we could turn it around and be a blessing to people much more of the time then we truly enter into life that's really life and the riches that are really riches, the kind of riches that I think of when I think of my dad in his last few hours of life you know, in a human frame, it was, it was such an ugly scene and you know, nothing left of his earthly frame hospital bed in his living room with every personal need having to be tended to by somebody else. I mean, it's an ugly scene. And yet, because he had Christ and had spent his life living for the Lord, he died a wealthy, wealthy man. That's a beautiful picture. Real life is not about the stuff. I keep saying this because we, we get so distracted. We know it, we say it, we make a few changes, and then we go back to it's about the stuff again. it's like this endless circle of going back to the stuff when that's not what life is all about. Real life is about, as Bill said, loving the Lord our God with all our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. And the outgrowth of loving God will always be loving people. Um, You you can't love God with all your heart and be devoid of helping people. They, They don't go together. I mean... Your, your faith is proved by your works. But if you love the Lord with all your hearts only, you will be involved in the lives of people in many different ways. When we live for ourselves, we're never really content, never really happy. But when we are poured out for other people, we enter into the life that is really life. Some of you might know the story of Maury Schwartz. Name familiar to anybody here? Maury Schwartz? Okay. He was a sociology professor at Brandeis University. At the age of 75, he contracted Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a neurological disorder, which in short, over time, will reduce your body to basically nothing more than a pile of wax, just kind of losing control over everything. And Ted Koppel did a feature on Maury, on Nightline. An old student named Mitch album heard about his old professor's plight, and he began to fly from Detroit to Boston every Tuesday to meet with Maury after breakfast once a week. On the eighth Tuesday that um, Mitch met with Maury, Mitch held up a newspaper for Maury so he could see the headline that day. And it was a quote from Ted Turner, who was the billionaire founder of CNN. Turner had been lamenting his failure to snatch up the CBS network in a corporate mega deal. And Ted Turner said this, I don't want my tombstone to read, I never owned a network. (laughs) Maury observed that people like Ted Turner are putting their values in the wrong things. Leads them only to very disillusioned lives, and unfortunately, we have been brainwashed over and over again with the idea, with the mantra, more is good. More money, more prosperity, more commercialism. Maury said, the people who crave material things, this is, this is quite a statement. Listen to this. Maury said, the people who crave material things, don't miss this, are really hungry for love. However, they're accepting substitutes. They're embracing these material things and expect a sort of hug in return. I think that's a powerful statement. It won't work. We can't substitute material things for love or gentleness or tenderness or companionship. I don't think I've ever thought about it quite like that before. You know, I go buy something nice. It's almost like I'm hoping it's going to give me a hug. <laughs> but it's very shortly. It's a search for something else. The only thing that really satisfies is loving God and serving people. Paul told Timothy to command the members of the Ephesian church not to be haughty and not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And I'm going to do just that this morning. If God has blessed you materially, and some of you here are very blessed materially, Don't be prideful about it as though you did it, because you didn't. God gave you the ability. He gave you all the open doors, the chance to get the education, the chance to get the job, the favor at the job. It's not you. It's him. If God has blessed you materially, don't put your hope in it. Don't set your hopes on something that's so uncertain. That can be gone overnight. And if God has blessed you materially, do good. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. Take hold of the life that is really, really life, not some glitzy, glittery counterfeit. I often think about my legacy. I often wonder, what am I going to leave behind when I'm gone? Um, When somebody dies, and you go to a funeral or you know, he just got the news, somebody died. We all, always in that moment, have thoughts. And we don't always discuss these thoughts, but we always think some really good things about the person. We also remember some bad things about the people. Am I right? You know, my dad died. You know, I remember tremendous things about him. but I, I remember some bad things about him, too. It's like you always have both memories. We don't talk about the bad, obviously, unless you have a dysfunctional family and you do that. I mean, healthy families don't talk about the bad. You talk about the good memories and the wonderful things they did and all that. Um, But there's always other, we all remember the other things the things that happened at home, the things they did, the not so glamorous moments of their lives. Ted Turner couldn't stand the thought that he would die having never owned a network. And I wonder sometimes, what will people remember about me? Knowing that they will remember, they remember the good and the bad, I worry sometimes about what are the bad things they're going to remember? My family. Are they going to remember some bad habits that they knew I had or struggled with? Is their memory going to be of some weakness or some personality quirk? I hope that when I die, that the first and foremost thing they remember is not, well, you know how Dad was. I hope it will be he loved Jesus more than anything else, and he really lived for the Lord and not for himself. I would leave you this morning with the command to be generous and willing to share and also a question of what will your legacy be? If today were your last day, what would people, what would those first thoughts they'd have about you when they get the news? What would they be? What will you leave behind? How will you have spent your time and your talents and your treasure? And if they wanted to sum up your life in one sentence, what will they say about you? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Lord, thank you for a, another um, great text in your word. They're all good. They really are, Lord. Your word is so wonderful. It's so awesome. It's so amazing. It's so true. It speaks to our human condition. It speaks to our struggles and our weaknesses. It speaks to our hopes and our dreams. It speaks to the the real lives in which we all live, where we do have feet of clay and People around us see the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Lord, thank you for your word and the way it speaks to that and helps us to, to center our lives around you and to live for you so that you may be praised now and eternally. Lord, please help us to make good decisions each and every day with what you put in our hands, the 24 hours, the abilities and talents, as well as the, the money. Help us to make good decisions, the right decisions, decisions that will cause you to be praised. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.